0: Welcome to Let's Talk Farm to Fork, the post-harvest podcast that interviews people making an impact in the fresh produce sector. We'll take a deep dive into what they do and find out how they're helping to reduce the amount of food lost or wasted along the farm to fork journey. But before we get started, did you know that according to the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization, around 45% of the world's fruits and vegetables go to waste each year? If you would like to learn more about how you can practically play your part in maximizing fruit and vegetable supplies, whether you're a part of the industry or simply a consumer, visit postharvest.com and try out their free online course library today. Now, time for your host, Alex Mosbanyuk.
1: Hi there, welcome to Let's Talk Farm to Fork, the post-harvest podcast that interviews people of interest across the food supply chain. Today on our show, I'm joined by Paul Millett, who is the COO of Inverdigo. And Vertigo creates tech-based solutions for the vertical farming industry, and these solutions are not only cost-effective, but they actually enable vertical farms to create sustainable and reliable produce production anywhere in the world. So with no further delays, let's get started. Hey, Paul, how are you today?
2: Yeah, very well, thank you.
1: Oh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you're currently in Sydney, Australia, is that right?
2: Yeah, I'm actually in the nation's capital in in, in Canberra at the moment.
1: Oh, Canberra, that's amazing.
2: Our business is in Sydney, but I'm down in Canberra with some customers at the moment.
1: Okay, got you. All right. Well, before we get into it, Paul, tell us a little bit about yourself and besides the fact that you're currently in Canberra, what you do and maybe a fun fact about you that not many people know.
2: Yeah, sure. So look, obviously Australian, uh, you probably picked up from the accent. Uh, my background is in engineering and food manufacturing, where I was building factories in Europe and, and Australia for, for a time, and then a real 20-year career in international management consulting across the planet before deciding to become a modern farmer and get into building this, uh, this amazing business we've now got, which is called Invertigro. I'm a father of three, have heaps of fun with my kids, teenage kids, love sport, travel, all that good stuff when that's possible, which is always hard these days. As COO of uh and, and we're a startup that's fast approaching, you know, being, being fully commercialized as a business, we've got a lot to do. So my role covers pretty much all aspects of building our, our business. First and foremost is building the team, an amazing team of highly capable people, functional and technical experts, and together we're building this, this unique indoor Vertical farming technology offering. So that involves products, the Verticube, the Vertical Wall, which I'll, I'll talk to you a bit more about, and a bunch of technology to actually enable the farms to run in a really user-friendly, seamless way. We also then provide services and support, and the ongoing sort of consumables and um, supply chain requirements for our customers. So that's the business, and, and building that business keeps me pretty busy. One thing that people probably don't know about me, I, I was once an avid grass skier of all things, when that was actually a sport, <laughs> uh, and had the honour of representing Australia in my day. And um, yeah, actually racing against the US in the Pan Pacifics in, back in—I oh, don't, don't even want to talk about when—but uh, that was that was a bit of fun when I was younger.
1: Okay, that is so fascinating. I'm not going to lie; I've never even heard of that before. I've heard of snowboarding and obviously sandboarding, even, but grass is completely new. So, fair enough. That is a very interesting fact. Thank you.
2: I think some places still do it, but there's not many.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, good on you, mate. Um, <laughs> continuing on from that, tell us a little bit about what you do work-wise and some fun facts about Invertigo, especially. I know you guys have a few different technologies that you're particularly proud of, but tell us about your favorite one and how it's contributing towards agriculture
2: culture right now? Yeah, sure. So, so is is building this indoor vertical farming technology offering, and it's an end-to-end solution. So we build hardware that's truly unique, and I can expand on that in, in a little while. But our modular system allows people who may be farmers today that want to become indoor vertical farmers or they may want to be new entrants into this space or they may be actually a business who consumes a lot of fresh produce and they actually want to vertically integrate and build a farm either adjacent to or even within their building um, their current manufacturing site or where they do the food service and the meal kitting or you know it could be a restaurant that wants a farm on site so there are a whole range of customers it's a B2B business, so we focus on business to business, but we're building a a complete suite of of solutions, including the hardware, the technology, which includes the farm management, how you run day-to-day operations for farming, but also a whole suite of recipes for different crops. And so a recipe for basil versus a recipe for coriander versus how to grow pak choy or how to grow strawberries. We grow a whole range of different products with our technology, and so with that technology platform, it makes it super easy for people to become farmers, uh, which is one of the big issues for indoor farming is actually how hard it is to get started and how to learn how to grow indoors. Uh, We also provide services and support from advisory at the front end, helping people with their business case, right through to actually building the farm, training the, the operators, commissioning so sort of handing that over to them, or we can stay with you for the long term as a partner and actually do the farming in your building. Um, so it's an end-to-end solution. We also provide the seeds, which is a, a critical component, the nutrients and the media that, that, that you grow within. So that end-to-end solution is, is what we're building.
1: Okay. Wow. That is so amazing. So it seems like from start to finish, you are helping support the vertical farming community with different technologies and just ensure that they are involving in a healthy way. And I'm sure more and more solutions are needed. Exactly. Yeah. Amazing. And so in terms of vertical farming, how do you think that it addresses the current global food security challenges? I mean, I know 45% of all fresh produce is wasted, and I'm sure that you see gaps in terms of how traditional farming works. So why would you say that vertical farming is the future?
2: Yes, yeah, so I guess, firstly, indoor vertical farming. One of the amazing things with this technology is that it allows growers to, to basically grow more with less. So it's mm-hmm. it's sustainability-focused. It uses less land, less water, less packaging if you design your supply chain so you're as close to cons- the consumer as possible. Obviously, fewer food miles, which is really exciting, and much less waste because we, we don't yeah. have the long supply chains, which is a big contributor to losing product you know, between mm-hmm. the farm to fork without the need for herbicides or pesticides, which makes the produce amazing and and healthy, super healthy. And it's independent of climate extremes. So we can literally grow all year round, which is really cool. So that ability to grow that way and this way means that we can really start to address those global food security issues and waste being a very, very big one, as you've just just pointed out. So fresh produce and particularly the perishable produce, which is your leafy greens, your, your microgreens, your berries, even things like mushrooms that we grow, there's a whole range of those salad and vegetables and an increasing range of produce that, frankly, they're the worst culprits in the supply chain for not handling and for contributing to that very big waste number you you talked about. So indoor farming is really well suited to growing that produce as close to the, the final consumption as possible, shortening the supply chain and really reducing the waste. So as the technology is evolving and and as our systems, uh, we're adding new recipes all the time, we've grown about 150 different crops to date in our technology. And that's pretty cool. So we can really start to, um, you know, almost, if you can imagine how you can grow it indoors, we'll find a way to do it. And that means we're not talking about just, you know, a few leafy greens and and a couple of herbs. We could start to really look at the staple foods as well that make sense to grow in this type of technology indoors. And I think the critical thing for the food system is to grow the produce that makes sense to grow broad acre, that makes sense to grow outdoors in a really highly efficient way. And our systems globally are set up really well for that. The the pulses, the grains, big heavy starches and the fruiting trees and these sort of uh, existing staple elements to our diet, rice and so on. Those supply chains are well established and they can provide a big chunk of the calories we need, but the, the really highly nutritious good stuff that we need to improve and increase in in our diets comes out of our systems, you know, is really well suited to our technology.
1: All right, I got it. Thank you for that. And so what's your current solutions? Do you have competitors currently? Or how would you say that Invertigro is different from any other current companies out there?
2: We absolutely have competitors. Yes, it's a, it's a competitive landscape and it's, it's one that's evolving very fast. I liken it to really the dot-com bubble a little while back and some of the areas that people are waking up to and going, hang on, we can really do something amazing here. So people are starting to wake up to it and it's starting to really take off. But for us, what we've done is to address some of the real fundamental issues that that are impeding the take-up and the adoption of indoor farming. And, and that's through addressing two key things. First one being cost, the cost and the affordability of the systems, both to set up, but also to operate and to get the cost of produce to a point where growers can make money and the consumers can afford to buy the produce. And that, that's something that's a major, major focus for us and something we've cracked. And the second thing is complexity. So the difficulty with indoor farming. Is is actually you've got a, a number of components, a number of elements in your system that need to work perfectly to produce the perfect basil, <laughs> the perfect, you know, herb. Um, and and so in getting that right and making that easy for people, we believe the adoption will be a lot higher, and it's fixing a number of those concerns. So our competitors, and I won't talk about competitors specifically, but I think that the point of difference from our competitors is that. We're super flexible. We have a modular system that can grow in a really efficient way. Lots of different crops, pretty much anything you can think of that can be grown indoors can be grown in our systems, and that includes fodder for cattle, and it includes mushrooms, it includes berries, as well as fruiting plants, grown chilies, and we're growing eggplants at the moment, and uh, beans, and then your staples as well, your leafy greens, your herbs, your salads, and Asian greens, Asian vegetables. Because we've got the flexibility, it means you've got this ability to switch between different crops at different times of the year. You can do that really easily. So when the season is looking for, for a certain type of crop and it's in abundance, then the market is satisfied with the local supply potentially, grow something else or grow the stuff that's being imported. So that flexibility is a really big, big thing. The second key differentiator is, is is the scalability. Because the system is modular, we've got these growing modules called the inverter cube and it's like a a mini farm in a box but it actually allows you to to grow a thousand or more plants in the size of basically two square meters by two meters high and in that space we can then put that box into pallet racking to any scale you want within a facility you could go from one in a basement or a car park up to ten thousand in a high bay warehouse so you could be a small scale business that wants to you know grow below your, your, your store or you could be a, a mega farm that wants to grow and produce a whole range of crops for customers. That scalability and that flexibility of where we can deploy the farms is truly unique. There's nothing like it on the market. There's technology to make it smart and that makes it super easy for, for customers to you know, pretty much follow the bouncing ball and grow what they need to grow. And finally we make it affordable and that's to address that cost issue. So by having The technology designed to be manufactured at scale and manufactured in a clever way we can build the units to be capital effective we can install them fast on the customer site which keeps the labor and the on-site installation cost to a minimum but we can also do it in a building without having to make sure it's completely hermetically sealed from pests you may have noticed in many indoor farming pictures will show people in know in spacesuits walking around because they've got to keep all the bugs out of the farm if you get a pest in an outbreak into an indoor farm you could lose the whole crop our system is is sealed at the cube level literally at that that mini farm level so the pests aren't going to get into the produce and that if they did in one box they won't get into the whole of the farm so it means the capital cost is is a lot lower than other systems out there which is a real game changer we believe
1: yeah, that's amazing. And I mean, are there, or I'm sure there are, but what are the biggest challenges that you're currently seeing within vertical farming and in the industry right now? And how are you and the team planning to overcome these challenges?
2: It's interesting in Australia, we're blessed with abundant land and sun and and you know, lots of traditional farming. We, we think we've, you know, we're well and truly have an abundance of fresh produce. However, it's, it's interesting looking at this, um, just a lack of awareness of, of alternatives and as as the cities are growing here, and in, even in, in in Canberra, but you know it's certainly in Sydney, the food bowl that we built Sydney, the city around to start with, is is being built out, and and so over the next twenty years, we'll go from being able to supply twenty thirty percent of our own produce within the food bowl that is Sydney down to about six percent of the supply, which means supply chains have to extend. And and people aren't aware of this. Even in Australia, the awareness just isn't there of the issue and then what the alternatives might be. So I think a big challenge is actually that awareness piece. I know globally... Um, you know, North America and certainly in Europe and and other, uh, increasingly now in Asia, the food security concerns are real and, and people have woken up to this. And so I think it's just about educating and people being aware of what these alternatives might be and how they can actually help them to get really good, fresh, nutritious produce into those areas that really need them. And they could be the food deserts in the cities. It could be, as I said, you know, the to shorten those supply chains that are only going to get worse over time as the megacities grow and as the population continues to increase.
1: That's a great answer. I mean, with the Awareness Challenge, it's something that we're doing as well, teaching consumers how to not waste their food and even how nutritious their fruits and veggies actually are and little tips and tricks to make them last longer. I mean, all that together really does make a difference. So that's really, really cool. And What is the biggest surprise that you found working within the food supply chain in relation to fresh produce?
2: One of the biggest things is, is actually just awareness, I think for me of, of how little from a general consumption perspective how how small a percentage of people actually are buying and eating good fresh produce from the supermarket or from the store in Australia, I think it's less than ten percent um, of the wow. population actually regularly buy fresh fruit and veggies and, and certainly the sort of stuff that we would be producing in our systems and I think you know to prove our diets for ourselves but our kids as well, and change habits over time will really, you know, I think there's a massive benefit to come for all of us if we do this, which will drive then more demand for this amazing produce, and we've got to then be ready to supply that shift or that, that increasing demand before population even grows. If the same population starts to eat more of this good stuff, then we need to be able to supply it. So that's, that's one, one surprise when I first sort of got into this space that I just did not realise because I guess I've pretty much had a healthy diet Growing up and uh, mm-hmm. try to focus on on putting good stuff into my body that not everyone does does the same quite quite the same way yeah right so that that's one thing I, I think another really interesting one was was around microgreens so I'm not sure if you've eaten many or eat much in that sort of space, Alex.
1: Um, not particularly, but educate me, please.
2: <laughs> so so microgreens, basically you, you, you're growing, it could be broccoli. Let's talk about broccoli. So broccoli uh-huh. in seven days, you can grow from a seed to a little shoot. And that little shoot actually is super tasty. And you can have it on a salad or just sprinkle it or throw it into, if you're cooking, I don't know, spaghetti bolognese or something, you could put it in, push it up without the kids even knowing it's there. But that little shoot is so packed with, Good stuff it's like 40 times the vitamins and minerals per gram of the actual mature broccoli plant that you're going to harvest in you know 70 to 100 days. Wow so by growing microgreens and, and introducing those into our diet it becomes a superfood that we could just add without these other <laughs> good stuff that we're happy to buy from uh, you know the, the um, good nutritional tablets and bits and pieces that we might, might throw in from time to time. so as a superfood eating literally 50 grams or, or two ounces of, of broccoli microgreens would be the same as eating 20 kilograms or 44 pounds of wow. the broccoli itself so imagine feeding that to your kids here's a little sprinkle of these awesome little um and then they start to eat them and go how good are they but my kids will mm-hmm. just eat they'll sit there and just munch on a carrot of course or a, or even a cucumber um but if they could start to you start to eat, eat microgreens as well, and it's, a, it's an awesome addition to your diet without adding yeah. much, much food at all. So perfectly suited to growing in indoor farming technology and a real game changer for, for your diet if you start to look at what can be done with microgreens.
1: Okay, sign me up. (laughs) I mean, this sounds like an incredible market opportunity. So I really hope that this awareness grows. And so Paul, what is something that you believe people seem to misunderstand about your line of work when it comes to fresh produce or vertical farming? And what are the solutions for it?
2: Yeah, I think because of some of the imagery that's been out there in the market of these big factories with people with spacesuits on walking around in a controlled environment we do need to control the environment to grow the produce consistently and really well and at scale and i think that misconception with applying technology in a really smart way versus manufactured food it's actually beautifully grown produce free of herbicides and pesticides Better than you're going to get out of the field because we don't have to kill the bugs that are there or or add, add extra herbicides to stop things growing on it. Because of that, you know you, the misconception I think is is around being an engineered food. It's it's not. It's 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 just super fresh, super you know healthy and nutritious food that's grown uh, in an environment that means we can grow faster, consistently, safely, free of herbicides and pesticides, close to where you want to eat it. So it's still almost you know growing when you when you put it in your mouth. It's so fresh. That I think for me is one of those big things for the industry. Part of that education piece we talked about earlier.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well besides the awareness, um are there any other pain points or blind spots that you currently see in the industry? Um, are there any solutions that you think you can potentially implement?
2: Yeah, I think the big ones are those issues I mentioned previously about the cost and, and partly around you know speaking to Growers that have started in this in this area, or, or, or seeing why people have struggled to get off the ground, is really coming down to the, the commercial aspects and making sure that it's affordable and they're going to make money at the end of the day as a grower, but also that the produce is then affordable from a consumer perspective and you know people understand the benefits that are coming out of this amazing produce. So that's really been a big big focus for for us is to try and leverage technology to the full and the improvements in technology that are coming through all of the time to improve that cost structure. So the I guess the, the good thing about some of the, the key cost components in our technology in the application of indoor vertical farming come down to energy costs and labour costs plus the cost of real estate. So if you can have super high density farming in you know a small space, then that's a that's a big tick. <laughs> that's helping. The second piece is also to be smart in how you use labour. So you're not getting rid of labour. There's still farmers that we're doing seeding, we're managing the process, we're you know, picking and, and packing. And there's the requirement for jobs, and you create jobs, which is awesome. But you need to keep the labour as sensible as possible to, into the value-adding activities, not necessarily walking around in the farm and going up and down in scissor lifts, but trying to keep the labour really efficiently deployed. And the, the third thing is around the actual technology that's driving the energy costs, and that's largely our lights. So the LED technology is improving all of the time. We're seeing a curve that's that's rapidly heading down in terms of cost and, and up in terms of yield per kilowatt hour of energy put in, the amount of light intensity that we can use and the quality of that light to meet the needs of the plants, the, the colour spectrum that the plants want, as that continues to improve. The economics are all heading up, you know, improving for indoor vertical farming, where for traditional farming, the supply chain is getting longer, the cost of diesel and trying to road freight produce around the country or or get it from A to B, even fly it in in many cases for parts of the world where they're really struggling, like the Gulf states or, or others, to grow the produce locally. By improving the economics for indoor farming, we're going to solve many of those other really big, big pain points.
1: All right. Absolutely. And so with the pandemic and the quarantine, I understand that currently Australia has gone back into lockdown, unfortunately. So what kind of effect has that had on your day-to-day operations?
2: Look, I think um, everywhere across the planet have had the challenges of, of, of COVID lockdowns and disruptions. For us in Australia, we We've been blessed in in many ways that it hasn't gone crazy. We've been able to keep it contained. It's not looking great at the moment in parts of Australia with this Delta strain, but nonetheless, we've been lucky that we've been able to contain it. It has meant, though, lockdowns, working remotely, all those things we've all had to enjoy and endure. Mm. For us, at one point, we needed to keep the farm going to keep produce running, and and there was a concern that we'd have to to shut down our, our trials and shut down what we were doing. We actually looked to redirect some of our engineering capabilities to using our 3D printers and our laser cutters and, and various things that we've got for our engineering R&D and, and redirecting that to producing PPE, to, to making face masks and, and these things so that we could have people in doing that and also keeping an eye on the farm while we're, uh, we're doing so. So we, I think everyone has, has found ways to be tenacious, to do some good and help us all through this thing. Um, yeah. Whilst also doing everything we can to keep businesses going, keep people in jobs, and for us it was really about refining all of the engineering design in our product in readiness for us to get to market. So it's uh, it's, it's, it's certainly been an interesting time. Unfortunately, you know, with a great team, lots of time on Zoom and Teams and, and all of these different uh, media um, mm-hmm. and the different collaboration tools, we've, we've, we've managed to keep things moving really uh, pretty well.
1: Yeah. I mean, I often wonder if this pandemic would have happened about 30 years ago, how would we have survived without the technology that we have today? I mean, it's it's actually crazy. I mean, how would we have been able to communicate through facts? And I think just in general, just be able to streamline global operations the way that we've been into. So yeah, it's really lucky that we have the technology.
2: I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. I I, I think the other silver lining has been this awareness of how fragile the 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 food system and supply chains actually are. Seeing shelves de-stocked, and for many people in their lifetime they've probably never never seen that. So um, it's certainly been something that. that is is a silver lining if, if there is such a thing for our industry in, in looking at, well, we do need more resilience in our food system. We do need to think about alternatives and, and look at what's, what's possible with technology, as you mentioned, um, helping us towards fixing the food system as well as communications.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, when it comes to food loss and sustainability and just bouncing off what you just said, um, what is an area related to your role that you're most curious about right now? What are the things that you are potentially interested in researching the most?
2: Yeah, I think our tagline as a business is to feed the world the smarter way. And that's what we're trying to do with our technology is bring a smarter way of farming and make it affordable, make it accessible to the planet. So that's basically that DNA in our business is there to try and fix problems, identify solutions to some of these big, big things. Um, We're constantly looking at ways to, to just make our systems more efficient. And I mentioned earlier about Looking at LED technology, that's an area that we, we stay as close as we can to so that we, as, as there's improvements coming through in the, the chips and the quality of the actual LEDs themselves and the incorporation of those to get the, the best outcomes for different plants, that's a big area for us to focus on and we'll continue to, to be doing that. But but bigger than that, I think a really exciting area of focus for us in Australia, but but globally, is starting to talk about circular economy starting to talk about systems thinking around, you know, waste streams become value streams, go back into cycle and we use them again. And for us, if we can incorporate our technology in a really smart way with other partners that we're talking to and working with that are focused on taking organic waste from the population, uh, converting that into energy, that energy can then be basically used within our, our farms to produce food again so you've got your waste to energy to food virtuous circle happening there there's a whole lot of other value streams that come out of the burning of methane and converts to gives you co2 which you can sequester into the farm plants love co2 so we can use some of that waste stream co2 and and give it as food to the plants so there's that systems thinking and, and circular economy thinking is something i'm really really excited about
1: That is so exciting. Well, what is something that you wish you would have known when you began your career in vertical farming or at least in agriculture?
2: I think to find one is going to be tricky. But um, really, I I think when I first set out, um, and this is about seven or more years ago, seven or eight years ago, it was a pet project with some other friends and and colleagues and uh, and a few folks that were industry experts. We are looking to build a farm, an indoor vertical farm in Singapore. And Singapore, because we believe you know small small nation but really really sort of low levels of, of current domestic product of food so everything's imported or a very high percentage of their food is imported so we started there and and in doing so we set out looking for technology off the shelf that we could build our farm and use and it didn't exist and so we spent about you know, a couple of years trying to get to a solution that we were happy with that would work as a viable farming business we we're a little bit early um, the singaporean i guess government and 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 at that time it was early days in looking at this this technology so for us we're probably a little bit ahead of our time and we we actually learned an awful lot in in doing so about what the pain points are for indoor farming what we wanted the technology to be if we were going to start a farm so there's a lot of learnings there that actually you know plenty of (laughs) sleepless nights and and how are we going to do this if invertegro existed then um, that technology was available to be able to take this modular technology, uh, set up a farm in months, not years, at a fraction of the capital costs with technology that would make it super easy to grow what we wanted for that market, but then be able to switch crops seasonally as we needed and do this at a cost structure that allowed us to make profit basically from the get-go. Um, that would have been a game changer for us then. And that's probably how we got to where we are now is, is, is looking at uh, putting ourselves in the shoes of, of of those out there that are thinking about doing this or have started and found it hard, we're trying to solve your your problems.
1: Yeah, of course, definitely. Well, Paul, as we come to a close, I just wanted to ask, what is the number one takeaway that you really want our listeners to absorb from this episode? Yeah, thanks,
2: Alex. I think the the key thing is, you know, with the imperative to sort of feed the world in a smarter way. The future of farming is here. And Invertegrow making it super easy and affordable for growers and those that are looking to become growers to be able to secure their fresh produce almost anywhere and do it profitably.
1: That's incredible. All right, Paul, well, thank you so, so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Uh,
2: thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me.
1: No worries. Well, that's all for today's episode of Let's Talk From to Fork. Thanks for listening and thank you, Paul, for joining me today. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you never miss an episode and don't forget to leave a review and share with your friends. Until next time, you've been listening to Let's Talk Farm to Fork, a post-harvest podcast.
0: We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Let's Talk Farm to Fork. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Also, if you would like to learn more about how you can practically play your part in maximizing fruit and vegetable supplies, whether you're a supplier, consumer, or anyone in between the farm to fork journey, visit postharvest.com and try out their free online course library today.